North of the spine of the world and west of the towering Rigged Glacier is a frigid expanse few dare to explore, let alone inhabit. This icy land of windswept tundra recently became locked in a perpetual dark winter without reprieve. Aurel the Frost Maiden, the divine embodiment of winter's fury, has withdrawn to this cold corner of the world to live among mortals. Further, she has cast a terrible spell over Icewind Dale to the detriment of most of its citizens. Each night before midnight, Aurel takes to the sky on the back of a white rock and weaves her spell, which manifests as a shimmering curtain of light, a beautiful aurora that illuminates the night sky and fades before dawn. This powerful magic prevents the next day's sun from rising above the horizon, turning midday into twilight and trapping Icewind Dale into winter's dark embrace, with no sunlight or warmth to melt the snow and ice. Each casting of the spell leaves the Frost Maiden weakened, with just enough divine power left to barricade the mountain pass with blizzards and churn the sea of moving ice with blistering winds. Such measures discourage travelers from approaching or leaving Icewind Dale, further isolating the region. Icewind Dale has thus been trapped in a different reality from the rest of the world, for though the sun never rises over the dale, it continues to rise everywhere else. The people of Icewind Dale know Aurel's wrath when they feel it, and they have a name for the unending winter she has inflicted upon them. They call it the Everlasting Rhyme. No one understands why the Frost Maiden has imposed her will in this way, or why the other gods refuse to challenge her. This prolonged winter, which has gone on for more than two years, threatens to doom not just the flickering lights of civilization known as Ten Towns, but also the indigenous flora and fauna that need sunlight and the change of seasons to survive. For our session zero, we uh, covered some ground rules and themes um, that we wanted to explore and certain others that we wanted to avoid. Uh, what we came up with was, uh, of course, we are going to be running a horror campaign. So ideally, a lot of uh, spookity things going on. Um, there will be, of course, blood and gore and descriptions of, of violence. But, I mean, who, who doesn't get any of that in an RPG these days anyway? But um, some things that you will not see in here, of course, we discussed uh, things like rape and sexual assault. So you don't have to worry about anything like that. Um, we're going to be avoiding topics like racism, biphobia, transphobia, animal abuse. Um, in our world, none of those things exist because screw all that. That's awful. Um, stigmatization of mental illnesses um, and uh, role-playing mental deficiencies, as like such as like the results of inbreeding. That we find that just off taste and just not not what we want in our game. But um, we are going to have plenty of humor. Um, and uh, hopefully a more realistic approach than I'm used to, so bear with us on that. Um, Alright, so uh, welcome to my um, Icewind Tale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden campaign, I guess. Um, I'm going to make a very big effort to actually, you know, upload and post this one. Uh, hopefully it's, <laughs> it's at least semi-entertaining. But um, anyway, so after we discussed all of that, then we jumped in to the game proper, uh, at least in the Session Zero. We uh, For Session Zero, we did use a game uh, created by uh, Megan Cross. Uh, she is uh, at Megan Lynn FTW on Twitter. I'll have a link 
in the description for this. Uh, but it was a, a wonderful game um, using two decks of cards. Uh, well, we used two decks of cards so that we could have um, all of the prompts. We used the expansion for her game as well. Um, and uh, <laughs> we, we used those as basically character prompts, so there's a little bit of that going on, uh, just to kind of flesh out the characters and stuff, um, and then we did dive directly into, like, the very, very beginnings of the campaign, uh, honestly, that's the only reason that I even include this entire, uh, Session Zero in the campaign proper, uh, because, um, there will be audio issues, issues abound, unfortunately, uh, I'm not still set up in a great place to record, uh, and this first session, aka Session Zero, is uh, particularly kind of rough to listen to, so uh, anybody who, who subjects themselves to it, I do apologize. Um, it, it recorded off of my laptop speaker instead of the, uh, the, the microphone that I had. Um, and not just that, but we're also starting this um, in, in the summer, so I've got a fan going and was not did not have the foresight to not have it blowing anywhere near my laptop. So every few seconds you hear this just awful, awful noise and it makes it very difficult. And I, I, I do apologize. This is just, it's unpleasant. Um, but I, hopefully we'll get, we'll get better, um, as time goes on. Um, so bear with me on that and, uh, I hope you enjoy the campaign and, uh, <laughs> good luck. Um, uh, Bad audio starting in three, two, one. Ten towns didn't spring up overnight. It started from humble beginnings four centuries ago. Immigrants from all over Faerun came here in search of escape or adventure and built a modest trade post atop the hill where Bryn Shander now stands. One by one, settlements sprung up on the shores of Mare Dualden, Lake Dunashire, and Redwaters. The ever-present threat of orcs and other monsters compelled the poorly defended lakeside towns to turn Bryn Shander into a modest hilltop trading post, uh, from a modest hilltop trading post, into a walled town capable of defending all ten-towners if and when the worst comes. Most of the towns contain trace evidence of the immigrant cultures that birthed them. This evidence is carved into houses, statues, and other fixtures. For example, the dinosaur carvings on the older buildings of Goodmead remind folk that, the many, that many of its original settlers were chilting. Residents of Ten Towns tend to remain indoors when they're not working, since it's so frightfully cold inside, which gives each settlement a deathly quiet aspect. Most people who venture outdoors are bundled up in so much cold weather clothing as to be barely recognizable, and they don't stand around long enough for the cold wind to get the better of them. A real sp winter spell has caused the population of Ten Towns to dwindle and has heightened rivalries that have shit-simmered for years, turning neighboring towns against one another as competition for resources becomes increasingly intense. The alliance of Ten Towns won't, uh, won't hold if the mounting tribalism continues to threaten the common good. Most of the Ten, uh, most of the ten Towns except for Enchander are built on the shores of three big lakes. The largest population of knucklehead trout is in Mare Dualden, the deepest of the lakes. Redwaters, the shallowest lake, almost completely freezes in winter, making the fishing there difficult. Lactanashire catches the worst of the winds blowing off the Regev Glacier to the east, and thus has the roughest waters. Small thermal vents at the bottom of these lakes keep them from freezing completely, even in the coldest winters. Ten Towns fishing boats are simple affairs. The smallest boats 
Um, the smallest are rowboats and single-masted skiffs that require careful handling to avoid capsizing. Larger twin-masted cogs and keelboats with single decks handle wind and waves better. These ships fly the flags of their towns and provide fish for the whole community, not for any individual fisher. When thick ice covers the lakes, many fishers stay to the shelter of their homes and hearths. But most dedicated uh, or desperate hole, but the most dedicated or desperate cut holes in the ice and dangle their lines down in hopes of tempting hungry trout. The desperate people of ten towns hoping to appease Aurel so that the summer can return to Icewind Dale make sacrifices to the Frost Maiden on nights of the new moon. This is a new practice that started a little over a year ago, when it became clear that Ariel was angry and summer would not be returning anytime soon. The town speakers uh, have unanimously agreed to honor these practices, which they consider necessary evils, but would end them in a heartbeat if Ariel were to be appeased or dealt with in some other way. The nature of the sacrifices varies from town to town, but usually takes one of three forms. Humanoid. Branchander, East Haven, and Tardos hold lotteries the afternoon before the new moon. The unlucky, excuse me, the unlucky person whose name is drawn is sacrificed at nightfall. The, the ill-fated soul is stripped bare and either tied to a post or sent into the tundra to die. Accusations of rigged lotteries are common, but usually not acted upon. Food. Smaller towns that can't afford to give up people give up their food instead. A day's catch of knucklehead trout is strung up on wooden racks a mile outside of town to be claimed by yeti or other creatures that embody Ariel's wrath. Warmth. Towns that can't bring themselves to give up their people or their food forsake, uh, forsake warmth for a night. No fires are lit between dusk and dawn, forcing locals to share body heat for warmth. Anyone who dares to light a fire is savagely beaten. Good Maid was founded by immigrants from Jolt and the Villain Reach. Goodmead is nestled between Redwaters and a nearby evergreen forest. Redwaters is a, is a lake. The town's squat dwellings adorned with carvings of dinosaurs and serpents are overshadowed by the two-story structure of the Mead Hall, its eaves carved and painted to resemble wyverns. As honey is the key ingredient in mead, the town literally buzzes with the droning of bees. Every tavern in Icewind Dale is accustomed to receiving regular mead deliveries from the town, uh, and, and the town can't produce or deliver its meat fast enough. All deliveries have halted temporarily because of a verbeeg marauder. A verbeeg, as pretty much everybody but uh, I would imagine that um, Chris's character might know this, uh, Jordan's would not, but verbeeg are giants that resemble oversized humans with gangly limbs and elongated faces. Some have other features that give them a fearsome aspect. A verbeeg marauder emerged from the forest three days ago and stole three casks of mead that were being loaded onto a dog sled for transport to Bryn Shander. Kendrick Ricebarrow, the town speaker and a giant of a man in his own right, stood his ground against the verbeeg and didn't fare well. After skewering Kendrick with its spear, the verbeeg grabbed the casks and disappeared once he came. The other residents of Goodmead tried to save Kendrick to no avail. His body lies in a, in a local shrine. Five members of the militia went after the Verbeeg, but haven't returned. Goodmead is a relatively small town in, uh, in Ten Towns, a population of only 100. Penny's character and Nick's character both live there with their families. Jordan's character, this is the first town you've stumbled upon. And Balthazar, this is the town you awake in after your near-death experience. Penny. Who is your character? Tell us about. Tell us what we need to know about who you are 
Oh, okay. Uh, so, so Nika Solberg is the adopted daughter. I would say she's probably the, she's the youngest daughter of three children, three sisters. Two sisters. Or two, yeah, well. She has well, two sisters. I have two. I see. She's the, uh, she's the youngest of a family, uh, of a family. Oh, boy. She's the youngest of three kids. Yes, okay. three sisters. And she's the only adopted. Three daughters. Um, yeah, she's adopted. Um, her, her family is Scandinavian looking, whereas Nika is dark skinned, uh, kind of Inuit, African American looking. She's got short hair, gray eyes. Um, she's a druid like her family, so they just they're they're basically like vets in this town, <coughs> sorts, uh, veterinarians, and they care for animals. They adopt animals. Um, they usually they're kind of like the people you go to if you either would like a pet or you need tending to or your animal does they can help you out um they're just like really nice folks they just they're very you know hospitable and and as long as you're not like a shitty person that they're very much friendly towards you but yeah, Nika, Nika, very much. You, I mean, when you see the whole family together, you're like, ah, adopted. <laughs> um, but yeah, she, she's just, she doesn't really like. At this point, she doesn't really see that so much. And she's just like, this is my family. I'm a soul bird. Yeah, I like animals and plants, and I, I help them and and love them and raise them. <laughs> Already. I think that's it. I can't think of anything else. That's fine. Already. Um, Jordan, tell us about Alina. Alenia? Alenia. Um. So, Alenia has dark brown, long hair, green eyes. She's tannish skinned. Um, she has a, um, a, it's a, she is a half-elf. Oh, she's, oh yeah, she's a half-elf ranger, and she is a, has a flying dragon fox companion, and the description of the dragon is, it's a purple fox that has Two small devil-style horns that protrude from its forehead and dragon-like scales along its jaw and travels down to two powerful claws. The scales and fur range from deep purple to lavender. Magic arcs in between the scales and from its eyes and a pinkish-purple magic aura. Legs resemble a fox's legs and its tail is large and fluffy. The rest of the fox has fur and its wings resemble the wings of a snowy owl, but the coloring is in concert with the rest of the fox. So that's her companion. A little purple winged fox. Yes. That's half cute. reptilian. Yes. What's his name? <coughs> uh, what do we name it? Alistair? 
Elder. Um, there's not much to say about Olenia. Um, basically, she has amnesia. So, um, I'm pretty sure she picked up her name from a box or something along those lines. <laughs> oh, I forgot to say my companion. Um, my companion is a husky named, uh, uh, some Dagmar, which means Maiden of the Day in Scandinavian. Chris, tell us about Balthazar. Okay. <clears throat> Balthazar Kronk is a half-orc fighter. He is a uh, apprentice, apprentice, apprentice seeker at the Library of Candlekeep, uh, which is the world's biggest and most prominent library. It's a repertoire of magical knowledge known throughout the world. Um, and seekers go out and find lost or rare or thought-destroyed materials and bring them back to the library where they can be kept after and people can come see them and use them for research purposes or spellcrafting. Um, Balthazar um, is a half-orc. He has very sickly-looking gray skin, like he doesn't have the best constitution, maybe, um, and gray hair that's pulled back in, like, a top knot, and then a little pair of uh, pince-nez glasses on his face to... Uh, help him see because his eyesight isn't very good. He also only has one arm. He's born uh, without the other one, but he has an artificial arm that his blacksmith father made for him that has been upgraded and enhanced throughout the years. Um, and right now, it, it's main purpose is it can either grasp things or be used as a shield that just clicks into the side. So he can use a shield like a normal fighter. Um... He was on his first mission for the Seekers of Candlekeep, uh, going to Ten Towns with another apprentice and a more advanced Seeker. Um, when an incident happened, and he was the only one who was found with a gaping chest wound and a number of other lacerations and wounds, and just not in the best shape. Alrighty. And Nick, tell us about Bartok. Bartok is an elven monk. They they left for us. They're about middle age. They're an elf Um, all skin, golden eyes, long silver hair. Uh, has lived in Gooden for the past eighty years with their family. Uh, they have. I have children too. <laughs> if you want children, sure, I guess. We have so many children then. Okay, keep in mind the town is a population of 100. <laughs> we have, like, I guess we, we are. Half the town. <laughs> I am prolific. I fired this location. They have 80 children. <laughs> I, would, I would recommend to keep it lean. 
Oh, you know, I was just mad about that too. I was like, seven siblings. He's like, whoa. <laughs> Some of these towns is like 50 people. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'll level with you. Six. <laughs> okay. Is the town. Yeah. Three kids, I think, can, we can work with that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Carry on. Okay. We can come up with the details of the kids as uh, later on as we go. <laughs> I have two wives and one husband. My husband is a gnome. One of the wives is an orc. The other one is a tiefling. We have three kids. They're lovely. So I like don't know what I do. One for each. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't want to get bogged down on the weeds. <laughs> I really don't on this one. No, you need to know now. I'm writing this down. I need details. <laughs> Save some to the role playing. <laughs> and then, or, you know, get greed. Please don't make me Google that. <laughs> no, an element and orc breed with each other. Um... Yes, everything can breed with everything. Okay. Yeah. It's my world, that's what happens. Yes. <laughs> Alright. I was like, I hope you do. Yeah. Alright. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sure. <laughs> Except for Bumper, because you know they like eggs. Yeah. Hey, do you think you can do that here? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, wait, go. It's very uh, we, we all do manual labor around the town. Okay. We're uh, very important. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. So, before we get to the Session Zero game that we're going to do, let me read this. Welcome to the Far North. North of the, north of the spine of the world and west of the towering Regan Glacier is the frigid expanse few dare to explore, let alone inhabit. This icy land of windswept tundra recently became locked in a perpetual dark winter without reprieve. Aurel the Frost Maiden, the divine embodiment of winter's fury, has withdrawn to this cold corner of the world to live among mortals. Further, she has cast a terrible spell over Icewind Dale to the detriment of most of its citizens. Each night before midnight, Aurel takes to the sky on the back of a white rock and weaves her spell which manifests as a shimmering curtain of light, a beautiful aurora that illuminates the sky, night sky and fades before dawn. Yes, like a bird rock, not a... Yes. <laughs> I got that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Take her for a ride, everybody. It's like fe a feathery white rock. Like, no, just a big boulder. <laughs> <laughs> this powerful magic prevents the next day's sun from rising above the horizon, turning midday into twilight and trapping Icewind Dale in winter's dark embrace with no sunlight or warmth to melt the snow and ice. Each casting of the spell leaves the Frost Maiden weakened with just enough divine power left to barricade the mountain pass with blizzards and turn the sea of moving ice with blistering winds. Such measures discourage travelers from approaching or leaving Icewind Dale, further isolating the region. Icewind Dale has thus been trapped in a different reality from the rest of the world, for though the sun never rises over the dale, it continues to rise everywhere else. Sounds like fun! The people of Icewind Dale know Aurel's wrath when they feel it, and they have a name for the unending win um, winter she has inflicted on them. They call it the Everlasting Rhyme, 
No one understands why the Frost Maiden has imposed her will in this way, or why the other gods refuse to challenge her. This prolonged winter, which has gone on for more than two years, threatens to doom not just the flickering lights of civilization known as Ten Towns, but also the indigenous flora and fauna that need sunlight and, ch and the change of seasons to survive. Um, and a little bit more information on Ten Towns. As I said, it is um, settled over the years, over centuries, um, by, by various immigrants, nomads, what have you, um, and kind of each town has its own history that leads to what it is today. Each town is represented by a speaker, so the speaker is essentially like the mayor, um, and every so often when they need, when important decisions need to be made, the speakers get together and have a summit, and that's how they get make decisions. Um, sin, in more recently, each town has determined, and seekers have determined, that uh, in order in a, in a desperate attempt to appease Aurel the Frost or the uh, the um, Frost Maiden, they each town has uh, decided to offer up sacrifices. For some towns, like the town of uh, uh, for some towns that is comes in the form of a food sacrifice. They, sac they they give up the morning's catch to the wildlife or uh, you know various provisions in order to try to appease her. Others, it, for others, it's humanoid sacrifices. Towns have lotteries, and the the winner or loser, as the case may be, of the lottery is stripped of their belongings and sent out into the cold to die. Some towns, with population too small to sacrifice people or uh, not. And, and not turning enough uh, profits to sacrifice food, such as in the quaint town of Goodmead, the sacrifice is worth. Every night, fires are snuffed. Um, hearths run cold. No warmth other than yours, other than um, each other and your the body heat of your loved ones. You said every night. Every night. Y'all crazy. <laughs> and. Having having a fire, you probably do. Having a fire to keep yourself warm at night is seen as a criminal offense in some of these towns. All right. So, so that is where we are starting. Um, now we get to discuss how we get how we know each other and a few other fun details. Now, personally, I think it would make a lot of sense that. Um, I mean, it's a small town, so um, Nika and uh, Bartok would probably already know each other, at least in passing, if nothing else. Balthazar and Alenia are both from, or they're both outsiders, so that's not necessarily the case. Alenia, you, I would like to think, stumbled upon Balthazar's body in the snow <laughs> and decided to help him out. Um, when you found him, he was a wreck. He looked like he had been mauled by some sort of monster or a, a vicious creature with a gaping wound in his chest. Minutes from death. In fact, the only thing probably keeping him alive was the low temperatures. And you, I would like to think that you probably saved him. And together, you guys made your ways made your way to good meat. All right. Does that sound agreeable to everybody? So at that point, we just need to figure out how 
those two know these two. But we'll get to that here in a little bit. We are going to do a game here called S for uh, Session Zero. Well, session Zero. <laughs> yep. I have shuffled six decks here. You guys need to draw a card from each deck, but you are allowed to draw multiple. Like, you have to, at the end of it, you have to have at least one card from each deck, but if you want to draw more, you can. Thank you. Close my eyes. Just, yeah, no, just pick up, take a card from the top of each deck, and then if you want more from any deck, you can. So take one But from basically each. what's going to happen is each card is going to represent a specific um, event or character trait that we are going to have to, you're, you're each going to have to answer. We were supposed to have six total, right? Yep. Oh, fuck, what did I draw? <laughs> Everybody good? Sure. The suits are going to represent different themes. Hearts are the suit of happiness. Clubs are the suit of bonds. And the, I'm talking about the Dragon Ball Z here ones, by the way. Hearts are the suit of happiness. Clubs are the suit of bonds. Spades are the suit of sadness. And diamonds are the suit of character. The non-Dragon Ball Z cards, um, hearts are going to be beliefs and views, and spades are going to be memories and facets. Okay? Who would like to go first? Uh, All right, flip a card. What is it? King Club Goku. <laughs> All right. King of Clubs. You will always be a reflection of your parentage. What was your relationship with your parents like growing up, and what is it like now? That's a good one for you. That's yeah, a good one. Yeah, it's perfect. Um, I would say the first year was the hardest, um, just because of everything that happened. But once I, I realized this was a place I could be loved and trusted, and despite at night, I could be warm. <laughs> it was, um, and just how important animals and nature was to them, and how it brought them happiness and both sadness sometimes when you would lose, lose someone. Um, it was... It, it's it's only gotten better over time, and and I mean there's some things we probably don't agree on, like forgiveness, we'll say something like that. Like I, I think that was a hard one for Nika to learn. So her parents are relatively forgiving, and she's unforgiving. It depends for her. Like there's some stuff that she just like. Like, once once you break that trust with her, or if she sees someone, like, abusing or hurting an animal, um, or, like, a younger person, um, she's usually very much quick to have some sort of unforgiving nature towards that person. Um, but her parents typically, like, they will take the approach of teach them how to be better towards other their fellow human or humanoid kind or better towards animals and teach that person, um, which makes the, that, you know, receiving person better for it. But Nika has always had a problem with that since being adopted. Yes, okay. All right. Jordan? Some dude, and it's a Mr. Satan, too. Some 
Okay, two of clubs. Yeah. Or is it two clubs spades, or spades? Sorry. Yeah. Two of spades. Okay. Like that is not a club. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> it is now. All right. Now I understand that for your character it's going to be a little bit difficult on account of the amnesia, but work with what work with it if you want, or however you want. So. Okay. You cannot let go of what you you consider your greatest failure. What did you fail at? Who was affected by it? And why can't you let it go? I think right now, her greatest failure is not being able to walk on my life. And she thinks, technically, she's failing herself. She doesn't know she's failed anybody. But she could be feeling like she's failing her companion by not remembering anything. All right. Chris. I got a uh, ace of spades. No, that's a club. It's not. It's a club. <laughs> Is that a heart? It's upside down, Mark. You can never forget what was stolen from you. What was taken from you? By whom? And will you ever be able to get it back? Ooh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> We're in the library. That's. <laughs> um, it was when Balthazar was, was little and he was growing up like around his dad's forge and uh, one time uh, he was reading a, a book just like a, a kid's novel and his dad really encouraged him to, to read and to, to be smart and, and stuff like that. I thought that was a really really great thing for him to do and um a gang of kids grabbed the book he was reading and threw it in his dad's forge and just burned it to cinders. Like, threw it in the fire, the forge fire. So, no, he cannot get it back because it is ashes. He's bought other copies of that book since then, and it's one of his favorite books. But he, like, that copy is gone. And that's one that is yet. Alrighty. Alright. Nick? I'll kill him. <laughs> Trunks of diamonds and joy. <laughs> Trunks of diamonds. <laughs> I've never played poker with that. Can you yell out your Super Saiyan character? <laughs> 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 super, yeah. Just yell them Everybody has their reasons. This one, I think this one fits well with you. Why did you take up the life of an adventurer? Was it a hard decision, and what did you leave behind when you left? <laughs> it's more like I guess I'm gonna know. Okay, I am hundreds of years old. So when I became an adventurer as a young a young little elf thing, I was doing it. No, <laughs> 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 That was a young little elf. He grew in. He grew in. They grew into it. A little elf. You know what? When I was a young elf, I became a because I was running away. I was at the main point of. I was just a delinquent as a young person. Most of my life. I was going around hitting mailboxes with a bat. Yeah. So when I backfired, you got it. Why did you take up the life of an adventurer? Was it a hard decision, and what did you leave behind when you left? Um, did that help? <laughs> it did, yes. Okay. And so one night, when I originally left my home where I'm from, I, I left my family. And 
what I I know for the first three years of my life. Um, and it was difficult, and I've never reconnected with my my blood related family. Oh, Nick, I want to apologize now. I'm terrible with pronouns, so I'm trying to oh, say okay. they. I know, I was okay. saying he, and then I was like, I meant yeah. they. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Pen? Another card. Oh. This has kind of got a tarot feel to it. 18 of four of hearts. Oh, God. Okay. I'm regretting the Dragon Ball Z cards. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. Not all failures are ruinous. What failure did you learn something from? How did failing make you stronger? And do you remember it with fondness or embarrassment? Um, that one's actually pretty easy. When, so, when she started rescuing her own wildlife, um, you know, animals from snares or in you know any sort of varying injury, she would lose, you know, lose some of them. When she lost her first one, it was very devastating. She stayed up all night and she did every, you know, everything she was taught, you know, just like for medicines and wraps and all that stuff. And, and it was just like, she ended up falling asleep. And so when she woke up that, um, We'll say it was like the ptarmigan was in the white doves. Um, well, it, it ended up passing away from, from its injury. She couldn't save it. And so that was very devastating for her because she tried so hard and stayed up so late. And yeah, in the end, it was, um, so it ended up passing. <laughs> Uh, passing away while she was asleep and she just, she was very devastated from that, but she learned from it and she started <laughs> doing more research into um, you know, infections and, you know depending on how deep the cut is or if it's bacterial, you know, stuff like that like she ended up doing, ended up making her stronger so that she did more research into how to treat these wounds and injuries and these specific animals and how how um oh what's the word I'm looking for how fragile some of these creatures can be when they're hurt so that was that was like both the okay Jordan this dude Krillin Eight of diamonds. Oh god, every time she steps up about a Dragon Ball Z character, I die a little bit inside. It's okay, I got you. Just describe the character and I'll say it at the same time. Oh, here we go. Head in the clouds or feet on the ground? Are you a realist or an idealist? How did this shape you growing up and how does this affect you in your travels? I want to say she's 50 50. I think she's an idealist of. In the sense of she imagines what her life used to be, but she has to stay in the now because if she doesn't, then she can't survive. All right. So she's kind of both. Chris? Uh, uh, we got a king of spades. 
Inaction is not without its consequences. What didn't you do that needed to be done? Why couldn't you act when you needed to? And what were the consequences of your inaction? Um, he was supposed to... Well, he wasn't supposed to, but... When his comrades and him were under attack, he had the chance to defend one of them and didn't. He doesn't know what happened, but the result was he doesn't know where his friends are and he got the crap kicked out of him and left dead. So he doesn't know if that's the result of his inaction or if it would turn out the same way or, or what, but he, he thinks it was. Alrighty. Nick? Part six. There was a birth you remember with great happiness. Whose birth was exceptionally meaning to you? What do you remember most about them being born? And why were they so important to you? Uh -oh. These are too apt. Yeah. <laughs> like, damn. <laughs> it's a good game. Yeah. It's very well done. Yeah. Make sure to link them in the show notes, man. Take your favorite child. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're saying, man. So, yeah, so the other two. My third child came after my wife had four miscarriages. And that experience alone, watching her through that, and then finally having this child also survived such a such a hostile and intrusive environment was the one of the greatest accomplishments of my life that I've spent her whole Obviously, I love all my children, but uh, one of the most profound experiences of life. Penny. Uh, five speed. Death steals from all of us. <laughs> what family member death? Or excuse me, what family member did death take from you? When did it happen, and what were the circumstances surrounding their death? So, she considers so, the wanna... animals her... Okay, I was going to say, do you want another, you want another sibling? <laughs> like, no. <laughs> you can take one real quick, but... <laughs> yeah. She considers the animals her... Okay. Yeah, they're druids, of course. Sure. Um, so... So, typically, they do eventually... Like, if the animals can get well go off and you know, do their thing or they get adopted by somebody else um, I think it was one that she she took very very good care of she you know nursed it back to health um, it was a I want to say it was it was a husky that ended up getting a really nasty um, bear attack. And so they, you know, they renamed the, or she renamed the dog, especially after she got it to survive. And it was a very happy dog. It was smart. And, but it was one of those, one of those moments where I can't, you know, we can't keep it. We can't, we have to give it up. So she gave it to a musher 
who ended up going out and doing a delivery to one of ten towns, and they ended up going through the ice, and the only, um, the only person to survive was the musher, because he was able to climb, like, get out of the, the hole in the ice, but the whole sled took the dogs down into it. So that was very devastating because, well, you know, naturally. <laughs> so it was, it just felt very, you know, crushing to have that happen and, you know, just her not wanting to allow other people to take, you know, take these, these animals that she is taking care of, but she had to come to terms with that. That was very difficult for her. She's like, no, I still have to find homes for these. I can't, I can't physically, I literally cannot take care of every single animal ever. So that, that one was, that was a hard death because she really loved that dog and it ended up dying in such a cool, like sad way. All right, Jordan? Yeah. It's like, um, in your past, Vader, queen of hearts. <laughs> <laughs> An advantageous meeting has stuck with you throughout the years. Who did you meet? Why is it so significant? And do you still correspond with this person? Hello. <laughs> this person right here. All right. Or my dragon. Your dragon fox? My dragon fox. All right. Chris. Yo. Uh, four of hearts of Wolfenstein's. <laughs> four, of, four of Wolfenstein hearts. Yeah. Worth dying for. What would you be willing to die for? Why? And do you think it will ever come to that? Um, Balthazar is more than willing to die for the sake of knowledge, of finding something out, especially if it's something we can pass on to other people. Like, he doesn't want to be, like, the only person to know something and then die, because that doesn't help anybody. But if he can find out something that nobody else knows and then pass that on to everyone else and then die, that would be something we're done. Alrighty. Balthazar is going to have a good time in this adventure. Yes, he is. Or a bad time. One of the two. Alright. Nick? Five of four spades. Okay. You had a near-death experience. What happened? How did you survive? And how has it changed you? A long time ago. Okay. Like 88 years ago. <laughs> I was on a ship, or a ship I was on was wrecked. We were out in the tundras with nothing around us. A lot of people, a lot of people, a lot of us perished. And uh, then things just started to appreciate the people that appreciate the people you know. That's it. Alrighty, Penny. Ten of diamonds. I'll never forget the time that I was working and one of my employees turned to me and she said, what's a Gohan? <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't stop talking for two hours. <laughs> did you regret? <laughs> she said she didn't. I think she did. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the pen or the sword? Do you use words or actions to fight? Yes. In your mind, why is that the more effective option, and do you ever waver in your choice? No. 
Jordan. Was that a jack? Yeah. Jack, you're down with a sword. Trunks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Teen heartthrob. You are no stranger to rivalry. Who is your rival? How did they come to be that? What makes your rivalry so important to you? Winter. Winter. All right, Chris. Secrets. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, just do what I did yes and then no. <laughs> I have a diamond's king guy. It was nice, you haven't called your king guy? <laughs> That's a nice thing. King guy? Is it diamonds? Five of diamonds, you said? Five of diamonds. Old habits die hard. What is your worst habit? How long have you had it, and have you ever tried to break yourself of it? Um, the reason that uh, Balthazar wears Vincennes glasses instead of normal glasses is he would take them off and chew on the uh, the the earpiece. Yeah, so he had to get ones that just like clipped onto his nose so he wouldn't eat them. <laughs> I love it. Oh, All right, Nick? he'd like actually play with his tusks with them. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> uh, Nine of hearts. Oh, that's a spade. We don't know what card suits are. This is been lost to us somehow. Your hometown once fell under attack. How long ago was this attack? Who launched the attack, and what were the consequences? I don't know. They're eight hundred years old. They're not originally from. Yeah. Yeah. Still Make so, something up. Yeah. She'll see through it some other way. <laughs> you can just do that for every question. <laughs> I lived in a town. In, I grew up in a town called Bit. Way, very far away. Oh, that's not. Um, one day, the band. Oh, see the other elementals. Oh, and the few people got out. I got out. Oh, 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 Strange. I was like, what? <laughs> oh. Half empty or half full? Are you an optimist or a pessimist? Pessimist. 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 <laughs> Has that changed since your adventuring began, and do you think that mindset is beneficial? Um. It's a hard one. Um. I would say. I want to say she's. She's an optimist. Um, I, I, in the sense that not as much as her parents and her, fa her family, but like more of like this will like all get resolved with the frost maiden. Nature will eventually win out. Um, I mean, that's kind of it, really. Oh, well, here we go. Actually, this one should be better. Eight hearts. 
was a better move. Before you leap, do you look before you leap? Have you always been that cautious, and has it gotten you in trouble before? I honestly, I don't know. Okay. Unless it's a sewer tunnel, and you just dive right in. <laughs> All right. Chris? Nine of clubs. Uh, Pick a I almost pulled a ball things. Nine of ball <laughs> A mentor or teacher helped shape your childhood. What did they teach you? How long were you under their tutelage? And what was the most valuable lesson you learned from them? Um, Balthazar had several teachers at Candle Keep training to become a seeker. Um, and, like, you, you think of them as all being a bunch of librarians, as being like real scholarly, like, robes and books and magic and never picking up a weapon. But the seekers, since they actually go out into the world and have to face a lot of danger, are more martial types. They're still librarians, and they're a bunch of fucking nerds, but... Uh, oh, they're both nerds. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so his, like, uh, direct instructor in in his early years in The Seekers um, is someone who's going to stick with them for forever, just teaching them how to fight and how to stay alive in dangerous situations, but also how to, like, make sure that that scroll that you... Scroll, scroll that you got out of this flaming temple will make it out in one piece and stuff like that. <laughs> All right. You received. Nope. Someone watching over you. Do you believe in a higher power? Have you always, and has your relationship with them changed? I believe in the higher power now. There's a point in my life where I was fairly certain no God Jesus that allowed bad things to happen the way they did. And then I had a new death experience. And during that time, I was already coming back into the actual new death experience. <coughs> much closer to the idea of God and the higher order. The ideas of so yes okay that one's a little bit trickier because in D&D it's less of do you believe in gods and more of which god do you worship because there's there's often no question that gods exist yeah <laughs> it will come down and beat the shit out of you but at any rate um Penny this is your last one right yep for now seven speeds unless you want to do more alright seven Perchance to dream. Do you dream? What is the best dream you remember? And what is the worst nightmare you remember? Um, well, the worst nightmare is going to be secrets. Um, um, I'd say the best dream would be waking up to the, like, her waking up to the sun and just like all this all the pain and or just like that feel that feeling of of uh all the pain and the misery just like being washed away when the sun comes out and because it, it it feels like without the sun it's been so much 
harder to find that happiness and you know be fully optimistic and believe that you know that things will get better and I think that that's kind of been her best dream is like she had woken up one morning in the dream and the sun was out and the snow was starting to melt away and it was like holy shit spring is here and like just just something like she could feel the sun in her dream and how just that feeling alone was like all my problems are gone kind of thing and I she just like remembers that and just like holds on to that and and hopes that she can have like that as a reoccurring dream instead of a bad dream alrighty uh big jack got it right right you did okay good I did it do you have a way of taking the edge off what do you do to relax do you still find time to do it? And has it always been what relaxes you? Okay. <laughs> um. I have a few comments. <laughs> Never mind. Um. I think right now, because obviously thinking about what she does remember definitely doesn't make her calm. Yeah. So I think. In, at this point, she's tried to come up with, like, a happy place in her mind where she can kind of sit and meditate, in a sense, where she'll, she can sit down and relax and think of something else. Like, maybe imagine what a life she could have had, but not try to remember anything. Alrighty. Curious. Uh, six of uh, spades on the open circle. You have a hidden talent. What is your hidden talent? How long have you been able to do it? And has it benefited you? Um. Balthazar can read but not speak giant. So he's not fully functional in it. Okay. But he, he can read it and um, he has several books and tomes in uh in giant, so and uh, he is actively trying to learn how to harness their magics. If he can only get past that language barrier, I got you. Alrighty, and Nick. Five of puppies. Puppies. A friendly shopkeeper once helped you prepare for an adventurer's life. Who were they? Where did you encounter them? And what about your interaction has stayed with you? A long time ago, I ended up getting a friend that I had to run away from. Which is how I became sales. When I was doing that, I was fleeing from the town. It was really late at night. There was, a, there was one shop open that was just closing, closing the stuff up. And I walked by him, we made eye contact, and he knew that I was in trouble. So he brought me in without saying a word, seeing that I had nothing on me but a ragged cloak and clothing, and probably probably hiding a bag or something. He gave me everything I needed to 
to just be well off for a little while until I can make my until I can get back on the again. And one thing, one thing he really said to me. Well, he decided to give me gave away all this equipment. He said, uh, I needed to find my roots So I kept that with me. That's why I have a family now. Because I've been able to find my roots after wandering for the majority of my life. Alrighty. Um, so one last thing that we have to figure out is uh, how you guys all know each other. We've already figured out that um, Balthazar was found by um, give me a moment to remember everybody's names Elenia um, and brought to Goodmead and we do know that Bartok and um, Nika at least know each other but we need to figure out how and why you guys are going to be adventuring together so I have an idea what do you think? Um, I figured when, um, I want to see her name so I start remembering it, um, Alenia brought Balthazar into town, um, they brought both, well, both of, they pointed both of you into the Soulbirds direction because they, I mean, there's probably the town is probably not big enough to have too much too many physicians. Yeah, that that's kind of their stock and trade, you know, people or animal. Mm-hmm. Um or insect in this case too. But um but I figured they'd maybe brought most of you there so you had somewhere to stay and eat and get warm for the most part because if you happen to go there during a you know, no heat <laughs> night, then best place would be with being a long house full of animals <laughs> sleeping there um I imagine we we probably met like just through like say we need feed for animals yeah like I figured we just did yeah. trade with you and we, we did it a lot and so it was like different stuff Kids. Oh, probably. So. Yeah, they were probably there running around and just like. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, of course. Yeah, not that middle one. I mean, they got into stuff, but that's how you learn. You know. That's the best I got for how we all know each other. Well, how my okay. character knows all. Of oh yeah, no, and that that works. That links every that links you for sure. Um, like I said, the biggest the bigger one is to figure out. <laughs> why you guys are maybe not necessarily adventuring together. That could just be kind of a, hey, let's just go and do this. Um, but why are you guys hanging out together? Why are you with each other at the beginning of the campaign? So could we say that maybe their arrival was right like right after the Verbeek attacked? The- yeah, absolutely. And so they were with us, and then they were talking about getting militia ready to go and take on the Verbeek, and we were, like, talking about it and how, you know, this is going to ruin things if we can't keep the town going and stuff like that. And we all just kind of, like, agreed that maybe we should do something about it. We should create our own sort of 
Okay. Icewind Dale has become trapped in a perpetual winter. Ferocious blizzards make the mountain pass through the spine of the world exceedingly treacherous, and this land was not felt has not felt the warmth of the sun in over two years. In fact, the sun no longer appears above the mountains, not even in what should be the height of summer. In this frozen tundra, darkness and bitter cold reign as king and queen. Most Dale residents blame our real frost maiden, the god of winter's wrath. The shivering aurora that weaves across the sky each night is said to be her doing, a potent spell that keeps the sun at bay. Dale folk live in a scattering of settlements known as Ten Towns. The drop-off in caravans coming from the south and travel between settlements in this never-ending winter has left everyone feeling isolated. Although each town has resolved to appease the Frost Maiden with sacrifices of one kind or another, no respite from winter's fury seems forthcoming. For adventurers such as yourselves, Ten Towns is a place to test one's mettle and, in the spirit of heroes who, will, who have come before, leave one's mark on this frigid, blighted land. So. You guys are... Um, we are going to start midday. Quote, unquote, midday. <laughs> it, what would be noon? noon. Um, the sun is barely visible over the glacier. Um, the, the snow and this perpetual kind of white fog uh, reduces visibility uh, as it's pretty much perpetually a small flurry. Um, and you guys are all four. Uh, we're going to say uh, this is three days after the very big attack and the, Mara the, uh, um, the town militia has been sent out. And Balthazar is finally getting on his feet. He's, he's feeling a bit better. And you guys are all walking. Um, he's, he's healing. And uh, you're walking across the street when a bundled up figure walks briskly up to you. Um, and she said, and you hear, um, well, Matt, you lot seem like you're looking for work or trouble. Uh, you wouldn't be standing around in this cold weather otherwise. Hi. Um, I live here. <laughs> <laughs> I know you. <laughs> Actually, you don't. Um, I'm oh. relatively new in town. Oh, um, strange. I'm, I'm here uh, looking for uh, wee elemental spirits known as uh, Chewingas. Yeah. You three would, uh, well, Balthazar knows, I would say. Um, I'm... Yeah, yeah. Um, Nico, Nico would for sure know. Um, Bartok, maybe, and then Alenia, probably not. Uh, but Chewingas are mythical creatures, mythical elementals. Um, that is said to live in plants, rocks, rivers, you know, in the elements. Um, and the tales say that they are painfully shy. They're, they're little creatures. Stories have them varying in height from a few inches to a foot tall. Um, mischievous, curious, but uh, very reclusive. Um, and you and there are folk tales and stories of them in uh, in uh, Icewind Dale and around Ten Towns. Nobody's ever you've never seen them. Like like I said, it is just a, they're just stories. But that's what she's telling you. She's like, um, I'm here to you know I'm I'm, I'm trying to find the Chewinga and research it. I I, I think that um, 
they uh, they might be useful in stopping this everlasting winter. Um, possibly. I mean, that's a little optimistic, but I'd like to think so. I was uh, I was hoping that uh, you guys that you you lot would like to assist me in, in finding one. Um, if you can find one, um, I I can give you a uh, my lantern. Uh, not only will it help you locate one, uh, but you can keep it afterwards. Uh, I I would look myself, but I'm. I'm I'm afraid I'm not hardy enough to venture out into the extreme cold and, and search for one. I think you said these creatures. Oh, they're, they're harmless. They're just little elemental sprites. Um, it's the uh, the other things lurking in the snows and the honestly the elements themselves that uh, keep uh, researchers like myself um, a little uh, away. <laughs> well, I uh, can appreciate your... Uh pursuit of knowledge, I don't think they actually exist. Well, well, they exist. They exist. And she pulls out a lantern um, that has a... <laughs> she pulls out a little lantern with a, uh, an orange flame burning in it. Uh, it it's glow faint, but comforting. And she says, um, this this lantern isn't attuned to them. If, uh, if you're in, in, in the vicinity of one, the, the flame will turn green. So, what, so in order for something to be tuned to one, that means it would have been near one, right? It's like how that would work? Not necessarily. Oh. Well, then that doesn't mean they're real. <laughs> I, I believe they are, and I... I mean, if you're not interested, I can find another group of adventurers oh, I, who will help. I'm interested. This means any sort of change, yes. I guess there's no harm in spending Sounds like one. And you said rocks and trees? Yeah, the, I, you, the, I mean, there, there are tales that they are in ten towns. And, and don't get me wrong, the lantern isn't the only payment. I would be willing to uh, to give you what I've scraped up, uh, 25 gold pieces for the lot. Oh, um, there, there are stories that uh, there are there, there have been some in uh, some of the ten towns uh, in some of the settlements. Um, I haven't found any here, but if you could um, venture out and, and find one in, in a nearby settlement, that would be most wonderful. All you would have to do is uh, is convince or capture one to uh, bring it to me, um, and I will uh, I will let you keep the lantern and twenty five gold pieces, of course. And uh, more importantly, um, you would uh, learn quite a bit. Uh, we would. This would be uh, just in incredible for the pursuit of knowledge and and, and scientific research. Um, and like I said, I think that uh, there's a possibility that their elemental abilities might be able to put an end to this uh, cursed winter. Yeah, we can look. Maybe that way we can get supplies from other towns too, if there are any. See, True. see if the yeah, see if the someone would want us to trade. That way we can kind of get two tasks going. So we look new settlements. They, they ask you people. Oh, there, there are stories that they are in. in uh, they have been in ten towns. I haven't been able to track any down. But. Yeah. Well, the rest of my day is free. I don't know if you guys have an itinerary. 
I gotta feed everybody. <laughs> I have to feed my children. Yeah, I have to feed. I have to feed my family. <laughs> Animals. Yeah, twenty-seven dogs. Fourteen. Four, yeah. Fourteen snow hares. I'm still technically on the injured and reserve. <laughs> No, why am I doing Thea? I don't know. I don't know. You went right to Thea. Hold on, hold on. You just push that button. Don't be bitch. Yeah, don't be bitch. Um. Yeah, it sounds like fun. No, excellent. Thank, thank you so much. Um, and she she hands out the, the lantern. I'll take it. Alrighty. She gives you the lantern and she says, um, if, uh, if you find one, I will be in the local tavern. Um, I'll be there every night, so it uh, shouldn't be too hard to find me. Um, what, what's your name, by the way? Oh, yeah, that's important. I'm so sorry. I forgot to introduce myself. That is, I, I apologize. Yeah, you were um, just like, hey, you want to do some shit? And yes, um, like, <laughs> uh, so uh, my name is uh, Danica Graysteel. Thank you. And, and you are? I'm Amazon Rock. <laughs> Grace. Oh, so is Danica a human? Human wizard or something? Um, it's Im- almost impossible to tell with all of the oh, okay. clothing that she's got on her. She, um, all you can kind of see is this face, like most the part of her nose and her eyes. She's got um, really bright blue eyes, very very wide and uh, sparkling with with. Wonderment. So it's a. But uh, she's no. humanoid. <laughs> yeah, she's she's like most likely uh, elf, human, half elf, something of that. She's not. Uh, she's much too tall to be a gnome or a dwarf uh, or a, a halfling. Um, she definitely doesn't have tusks, no scales that you can see. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, it might be three cobalt in the trench coat. You don't know. Parka. But anyway. Um. Okay. Yeah. Um. I'll just have to go home and uh, tell the family and feed the family, and I'll be ready to go. Stay. Yes. Do you work for organization? Do you research by yourself? Uh, I'm an independent researcher. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know when I decided to have Balthazar sound like a, like a rich railroad magnate, but that's the idea. Yeah, let's, uh, I said that he's taking Yeah, we'll, we'll start heading for it. The, the wind um, will uh, be at our backs, so. East Haven, as, uh, as these two would definitely know, um, walking into East Haven is like stepping into Icewind Dale's past. The place is a living example of the boomtown way of life that gripped all of Ten Towns centuries ago. Um, it has a friendliness rating of two, services rating of three, and comfort rating of three. So it's actually not a bad place. Population of 750. However, it is a humanoid sacrifice town. Well, as long as we don't stay there. Um, its leader is Speaker Danith Whalen. Uh, he's a human, respected for his humility and forthrightness. 
And then uh, the other leader is Captain Indra Arlagath, uh, who is a half-elf uh, that commands the town's militia. And with that, I'm going to call session. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> no! <laughs> so, yes.